Uh, today's scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 4 through 25. Again, that's Genesis, chapter 2, verses 4 through 25. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nose, nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is a Pishon. It winds through the end. Uh, it, it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where, the, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is uh, Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with, with flesh. And the, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon, everybody. Before I continue or even begin, uh, I just wanted to uh, share with you a few announcements. Uh... Our elections that were held, uh, we, I said this before last week, we need to have it also approved by the KM because we are not an independent session. So we are going to have a KM congregational meeting, which you are all members of, on July 24th. So after, this is in two weeks, after July 24th service, we're going to go right down, we're just going to vote and approve uh, our vote, and then come back. Uh, You could do whatever you want after, and we'll have fellowship after. So that's on July 24th, um, right after our service. Also, 
we have a new intern pastor for our junior high school. He grew up in this church, and now he has graduated undergrad and is going into seminary and is now an intern pastor for the junior. It's a very exciting time. I just wanted to introduce him to you. If you don't know him already, Sam, could you please stand up? This is our intern pastor. So when you see him, you can call him Sam Jundusanim, <laughs> Pastor Sam. Okay, uh, we all, I'll have one more. Um, I want to invite up a brother. Can you come up, John? John it's John's last week here. He, John is Sam's little brother too, but he grew up in our church all the way from youth group, graduated uh, UMish, and most recently got a job in uh, Boston, Oracle. And so he's going to be going this week. This is his last Sunday with us. And I asked him to share a little something. Um, so here it is. Uh, hello, everybody. Um, my name is John. Um, I really didn't want to do this because uh, last time... I got kind of wrecked. Um, you know, I blame that on my heart murmur. It's a weak heart. Um, but anyways, um, I recently just graduated from the University of Michigan. Um, praise the Lord for that. Um, and also, you know, being far away from home, I always wanted to come back. Um, but uh, I've been called to go to Boston to work at Oracle. Um, so that's also a blessing too. Um, I just wanted to thank um, everyone who uh, has helped me, you know, grow and not only spiritually but uh, physically too by like eating with me and uh, hanging out and, um, you know, whether you were just praying for me or, you know, like rebuking and yelling at me like Hoyoung or, or um, you know, or feeding me too. Um, you know, it's kind of funny how like, now I'm at the stage where I have to like kind of repay that back. So like there's definitely a lot of people that I have to um, give meals back to. Um, anyways, uh, and also a special thank you to Pastor Eugene and Pastor Esther, you know, for all the love and support that you guys have given me like through my walk. Um, it's been uh, extremely vital for me and um, such a blessing. Uh, if... Okay, so I grew up in this church, I think, since the sixth grade, and I think if there's one thing that uh, I learned, it's that uh, ball is life. <laughs> I'm just joking, but um, I think it's that, um, you know, in, in like reality, um, having a relationship with God is uh, like super, super challenging. Um, like, I don't mean that to discourage you, but... I think I've been slowly coming to the realization that a relationship with him is also very rewarding. Um, you know, even I didn't come to realization of this until last, like this past semester actually in January, but you know, I think it came at a perfect time for me. And so um, I really do encourage uh, anyone who's like struggling with this and um, to really just pray and to, um, you know, you know, take a leap of faith. Um, and, and to conclude, uh, you know, Boston is actually not that far away. It's a lot further in reality or like to uh, Michigan, but I'll definitely come visit a lot. And 
Um, so it's not a goodbye, it's a see you later. <laughs> Let's pray for John. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in John's life. Ever since he was a child, you didn't let him go. Even though he thought it was difficult, even though, Lord God, there were struggles in his path, you didn't let him go. You showed yourself to be faithful to him through all the stages of his life. And now, Lord God, you have granted him and blessed him with the opportunity to work, to use his talent as an energy to serve the community, to build not just himself, but those that are around him. I pray that, Lord, you would bless him in this endeavor. And as he said it himself, Lord, um, it's a see you later, but Lord, we don't know ever how long we are with anyone together in the crossroads of life. And for the time being, we will we'll, we'll part ways with John, but we ask that your spirit would remain in him and that you would continuously encourage him and that you would bless him until we see him again. And our desire is hopefully soon. We thank you, Lord, for this brother and your faithfulness that you've shown through him, and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to continue on with the book of Genesis, and because uh, because it is Gen before we do that, actually I wanted to address what's going on in the world today. We are now in a place where we can respond through certain things with two extremes, and it's been incredibly sad for me to see, and that's with indifference or apathy or explosive frustration and even anger. We are bombarded by the news 24 hours a day. The system goes around the clock and you can always get the news. What that promotes is we are now conditioned and now I see this more and more especially in our younger people if you're in your 20s especially if you're in your 20s or young 30s, I see this, these visceral reactions come up. And if I don't respond viscerally, then I'm not being true to myself. I got to tell you, that is not the truth. The news, as bad or as good as it is, it comes and goes. There is someone that we worship that stands firm, and that is the someone that we stand upon and we call him our firm foundation. This is who we worship and who we depend on. This is who we say, God, show us your ways. Make me more like you. Help me to respond like you. It is not apathy. It's not to stay the same, but it's not also explosive frustration to react to every single thing you see. I have a... I am, I am incredibly saddened by the events of this past week. And if you were meeting with me or if you met with me, uh, even on Saturday morning when we come and pray, which I encourage you to do, 
Come and pray with us Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. Uh, we're praying for the victims' families, um, for Alton Sterling, Philando Castile's families, and we're lifting them up in prayer. And the, the, the people that have suffered in the past through these experiences, you know, I share, we, we don't forget them. We don't forget Eric Garner, who was right across the street from us. And, um, you know, just everything that happens, we don't forget. We pray. And we pray that God would uh, really console the families that are suffering. Um, but I wanted to give you two verses or two groups of verses to encourage uh, you, especially if this affects you very deeply and you don't know how to respond well. In James 1, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. I want to stop there. The first thing that this says is be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Romans 12, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. But here's the important part. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As Christians, we're not called to be bystanders. We're not called to be apathetic or indifferent. We are called to move. But the Bible teaches us how and gives wisdom to us. And everything that you see on the TV or on the screen is not all true. God knows the truth. And we pray that his justice will reign, especially in this country, but around the world. I continue to watch the news, though, and I get so sad. So I have to force myself to turn it off. But I want to be a good citizen, right? And the first thing, the first step of being a good citizen is to be well-informed. How can you be a good voter if you're not well-informed? So it's hard for me but I've learned that this is something that I also must do. I've read something, however, not on the TV, not on the news. Someone wrote this. She's a black woman. And she says, so this morning I went to a convenience store to get a protein bar. So naturally I had to continue to read because that interests me. I thought she was going to talk more about protein bars. But as I walked through the door, I noticed that there were two white police officers, one about my age, the other several years older, talking to the clerk, an older white woman, behind the counter about the shootings that have gone on in the past few days. They, looked at, they all looked at me and fell silent. 
I went about my business to get what I was looking for as I turned back up the aisle to go pay. The oldest officer was standing at the top of the aisle watching me. As I got closer, he asked me how I was doing. I replied, okay, and you? He looked at me with a strange look and asked me, how are you really doing? I looked at him and I said, I'm tired. His reply was, me too. Then he said, I guess it's not easy being either of us right now. I said, no, it isn't. Then he hugged me and I cried. I had never seen that man before in my life. I have no idea why he was moved to talk to me. What I do know is that he and I shared a moment this morning that was absolutely beautiful. No judgments, no justifications, just two people sharing a moment. When we hold movements, it's important to remember, I'm not saying it doesn't do that, but also to continue to remind ourselves these movements are about people and the people that are in it. And we must care for the individual. And if there are people suffering, it's our job to care for them, to show them hospitality. Most importantly, to pray for them. God is still working, my friends. God is still working. Won't you stand alongside him? So before I start, would like to uh, just to take a moment to pray as a church and lift up our country. Uh, the divisiveness that we see isn't 100%. God is still moving. And all that you see on TV is not all true. All that's reported in the news isn't 100% reality. But God still is at work. And he asks us, the church, to stand alongside him and work too. Let's pray. Most importantly, I would like for us to pray for the families that are affected directly by these, by these events, by these tragedies, and that God would give them the comfort that only God can. Let's pray. Lord, during this time, we ask especially for wisdom and discernment. We ask for compassion and a love for our brothers and sisters. We ask God that instead of dividing, that you would unite us, that you would give us harmony, and that we as your people would seek it. Be with your people, and especially be with this country, God. The people of this country need you so badly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about the gift, and I want to talk about three things about the gift. And the first one is the gift of work. The second one is the gift of marriage. And the third point is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So work, 
marriage, the Holy Spirit. Now, we read all of chapter 2, at least most of it. But I also wanted to make sure that we remember that chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, this song of creation, this beautiful song that God is singing and that we see here where you have this fantastic beginning that shows the character of who he is and how powerful, majestic, and beautiful he is. Going to how he bestows upon us wisdom by showing it through us in creation giving us his wisdom to the climactic glory that is given to man, which is just amazing, to the finale, the Sabbath rest of how we can fully absorb and appreciate the goodness of what God has given us. Now, this is something that we all have to remember because it is in this narrative, it's in this worldview that we have to see these other things. So when I see another brother or another sister, I see them not just as someone else because they're not blood-related, but I see them as someone with the Imago Dei, the image of God, and I start treating them differently because I know that this person has been given the image of God. I know how important rest is. And I learned to start appreciating the things that are around me. And I could take a step back. And I think if we see all these things, then I hope that we can see that the way we see the world needs to be affected by just this first song. It's so important. There is a narrative shift, though, once we get into verse 4. And if you read that verse 4, it says these are the generations, right? Um, of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God had made the earth and the heavens. So there is a narrative shift. It's, it's always been about the heavens and the earth, the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. These are the generations in which how the heavens and the earth were created. And at the end of verse 4, it says earth and heavens. Now there is a shift in perspective because we need to understand exactly what we're going to be seeing here. God is going to now shift this perspective and give it from our point of view and show us the importance of certain items. And especially for today, it is about gifts. It's about what we have been given. The first one is the gift of work. Not a lot of us think that work is a gift unless you're out of a job. When you're out of a job, work is the only thing that matters, and you hope and hope for this gift. But when you're in a job, most people, all they do is complain. But this is not a punishment. Work is not a punishment. Because even before sin entered, there was vocation. Even before there was corruption in the world, work was given. So will there be work in heaven? Ah, that's a good question, right? I'm not going to answer that. No, I'm just kidding. Work is something that God blesses humankind with. And he not only gives us work to work us as slaves, but he gives us command and charge and stewardship over his creation. Work is something that not only God does, but what God shares 
It's not something that we deserve. We didn't do any of this creation stuff, right? But God creates mankind and he shares the work with him so that he can share glory with him. This is an incredible, incredible gift that we've been given to work. In verse 15, it shows exactly how God had put the man and put him in the garden to work, to till, and to keep it. And if you see that this is true, then you will actually see that there is joy in work that we, are, we, we ought to have. When we study, so if you're a student, your job, you've heard this many times before. When I was a youth pastor, I would say it too. Your work is to study. It's to glorify God through your studies. And if you're not studying now, and you're working a nine-to-five or some other job, is to glorify God through your work. This is something that God gives us so that we can share in the work that he also has given us, but it's also so that we can turn it back to him and give him glory. In verse 16, what work provides is said. So it's not just work, but through work we see something. And he says, through work you can surely eat of any tree in the garden. And I want to stop there because what that is saying is in work, we have freedom. We have freedom. You can eat anything. But verse 17, right after there's freedom, there is prohibition. But you can't eat of this one tree. Now, this is important to also note. The character of the tree is not taught here. It's not given. All we know is the name of the tree. Everybody has speculations, oh, this is what it means, this is what it meant, or this is why it was there. But that's never explained, which should tell us the most important aspect is not the character of the tree, but the authority of the one who gives the command to obedience. What's most important is not the character of the tree, but the authority of the one who gives the command to obedience. We have vocation, verse 15, we have freedom, verse 16, and we have prohibition in verse 17. And this shows us an, a universal truth. With freedom comes prohibition. This is something that a lot of young people too, but a lot of people in general have a hard time understanding. How can there be freedom and prohibition? How can you have uh, just, you know, you can do anything you want. You can eat anything you want, but you can't do this. How does it make any sense? Isn't that like an oxymoron? How does that go together? Tim Keller in his book, Reason for God, he says, one of the principles of love, either love for a friend or romantic love, is that you have to lose independence to attain greater intimacy. If you want the freedoms of love, the fulfillment the security, the sense of worth that it brings, you must limit your freedom in many ways. You can't enter a deep relationship and still make unilateral decisions or allow your friend or lover to say, to, 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 you can't tell them how to live their lives and they can't tell you how to live your lives unilaterally. To experience the joy and freedom of love, you must give up your personal autonomy Freedom, then, he says, is not the absence of limitations and constraints, but it's finding the right ones. 
And once you realize how Jesus changed and gave himself for you, changed for you and gave himself for you, you're not really afraid of giving up your freedom either, and therefore finding your freedom in him. When I teach a child, or if you are a parent going to teach a child, a teacher teaching a child or a student, you give that child limitations, prohibitions. You don't always say yes. It's a, foreign, it's a more and more foreign concept, it seems, to the secular world, but this is absolute truth. You do not let the child do anything that he or she wants. In fact, it is a danger to the child. You give them limitations. You don't let them pick and choose whatever they want until they become mature enough to understand what choices they are making. But ultimately, ultimately what prohibitions are doing is this. Prohibitions to your child or anyone that you teach your student is to ultimately teach him or her how to love. It's how to love. When you work, it's not just about work itself. It really is about how to love. We need to make this connection. Otherwise, this, this work becomes meaningless. And this is what Jacob was talking about too. If you only believe in yourself, if you only believe in the autonomy of yourself, and you can't believe in a higher power, a higher calling, which itself is an oxymoron because the government is telling them that they need to be autonomous, then you don't see the meaning behind all that work. But the meaning behind work is love. We give prohibitions to show people how to love. The gift of work here is the beginning to show mankind how to love. And that's why right after, that's why right after the work is the gift of marriage. It goes right alongside each other. The man was made first and then the woman later. This has brought up so much <clears throat> wrong notions about men and women. I remember hearing as a child someone saying the man was created first, so that's why men are better. Uh, I don't think anybody here really believes that, but I'll entertain that for a second. <laughs> if men were made first and that's why they're better, I don't see the logic in that because it seems as though God created simpler things and then he created the more, most complex. So there was a frog and then there was man and then there was woman. So if you follow this logic, women are greater than man because he created the more complex things later. You can't use that logic that men were first because that means we're just less complex, which many people think. Men may be a little less complex and a little more dull than other women. Uh, that's not what the Bible says either. So let's not jump to that conclusion. But man was made first for a reason. Man was made first because it's, it's showing here that when the God was working, it, God says uh, it's not good for the man to be alone. He doesn't have a suitable helper. And what, what's done after that is so interesting. God says, it's not good for this guy to be alone. So immediately what he doesn't do is create Eve. 
This is what we think. We kind of just mush it all together, right? Man, not good. Make women, right? No, everybody's happy, right? But man, it wasn't good for him to be alone. So God sends him the animals to show him. And then uh, that he started naming them. Can you have an intimate relationship with an animal? I think yes. If you have a pet, it's great. But you can't be that cat lady that has a million cats. And you can't be that dog person that has a million dogs. It's not good for you to be alone because it didn't satisfy Adam. It didn't. And only after you saw that, it it seems to me that rather than squandering God's most precious gift to man, God waits and waits until he is appreciative and sees that this is something I need so much. And then God makes a helper, a woman for him. What Adam does then is the first, things, first thing that he says is recorded, that's recorded here, he erupts, not in anger. He doesn't erupt in anger. Out of him erupts poetry. Poetry comes out and he says, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. What's really also interesting here is that the Hebrew word that's used is woman is isha and man is ish. Before Adam was just Adam. So the perspective of how even Adam saw himself changed. Because Adam means out of the ground. So that's all he knew himself to be, out of the ground. But now when a woman is introduced, poetry erupts. And now his relationship, his main relationship is with this woman. Calls, him Ish, calls her Isha and he's Ish. And so there is just this immense connection, chemistry, electricity, love, whatever you want to say. Because they were meant for each other. Famous Matthew Henry says this though. The woman is not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled by him, but by his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, near his heart to be beloved. Umberto Casudo says this, just as the rib is found at the side of a man, and is attached to him, even so the good wife, the rib of her husband, stands at his side to be his helper counterpart, and her soul is bound up with his. I want to share about what the helper means. God saw that Adam couldn't be alone, so he needed a helper. And helper in the Hebrew word is azer. Azer is used in the Bible 21 times. Two times it's used here, helper for the man. Three times it's used because Israel or someone outside couldn't help somebody. But all other times, it means all 16 times that it's used, helper is used in reference to God. God calls himself the helper. A lot of people will still continue to think that woman is lesser than man because you're supposed to help me. You're my helper. But if you look at the word, the only time a person can help somebody, and if someone was having um, 
cardiac arrest, someone was having medical trouble, how can I help them unless I knew how to help them, if I had, unless I had the knowledge, unless I had the strength, unless I had the know-how, unless I was stronger? To help someone means that you can fill a need that they don't have. In many ways, that means you have to be stronger. And this notion that women are less than men is not found in the Bible, especially not in chapters 1 and 2. If anything, they are equal because not only is it helper, but the way the Hebrew writes it is suitable helper, which makes sure that we see that man and woman stand on equal ground. The marriage is formed. Marriage is formed, and marriage is formed this way. First you have to leave, then you have to be united, and that's how you get one flesh. The bond of procreation is greater, I mean, it's it's not greater than the bond of marriage. The bond of marriage is greater than the bond of procreation. That means you do leave your family. This is a Christian worldview that you leave your family, you get married, and you start your own family. This is important for married people to realize. The bond of your marriage is greater than the bond of your procreation. The family you grew up with is incredibly important. Don't get me wrong. I'm not belittling that. I'm not lessening that. I think it is so important. But what the Bible is showing us is that your relationship with your husband and wife is priority over that. And so many people fight because of their in-laws, because the in-laws give them so much grief. Your job as a spouse is to protect them, to hold them close to you, to make sure, and that's the second one, that you are united. This is covenantal commitment. Marriage is depicting covenantal commitment, which later on we'll see all throughout the Bible is showing God's covenant with his people. Constantly he talks about his marriage with his people. In the New Testament, we're talking about Jesus as the bridegroom and us being the bride. Marriage ultimately points to God and his church. Which brings us to that third point in marriage is complete unity. One flesh happens. When man and woman are united in the bonds of marriage, then they become one flesh. This complete unity is pointing also to, so sex also points to our relationship with God. But in fact, what has happened now is we have taken sex so far apart from God that any mention of some kind of sexual image or some statement that has sex in it, God is the last thing we think about. But God is the one that gave us the gift of sex. God is the one that gave us the gift of marriage. We're supposed to use it, and then when we use a gift... Who do you think of? You think of God. When someone gives us a gift and it's so meaningful and it's so perfect and we needed it so badly, don't we think of the giver? I'm not going to mention her name, but I remember when I was a youth pastor and I really liked, this is a while ago, I really liked those gloves like you can wear because it's so cold. 
and that uh, you can still use your cell phone. And someone had gifted that to me. And I really appreciate that. So every time I use those gloves, I'm so thankful I have it, but I, I'm reminded of this person who gave me this gift. This gift of marriage is greater. It's more significant. It's deeper. We cannot disconnect it from the giver. The gift of sex that we have been given has been given to us by God. And yet, so many times we want to use the gift to not just forget the giver, but it's like me taking the glove, putting it on, and slapping the person that gave me the gift. That's incredible, isn't it? But we want to so far apart take away God from sex that we are essentially cursing him, saying, I don't need God. And every time, even in a worship service, all I can think about in our society, because we've been bombarded by images, by even words. We can't even say certain words and phrases together because immediately what happens to our young people, if you say phrases together or put words together, immediately what comes up is sex, and sex is so far away from God, they have disconnected it that we can't even go into a mode of worship because of what we said. This is the reality that we're living in now. But in the beginning, it was not meant to be that way. Do you see how distorted it has become and how broken, how divided, and how we have put that curse on ourselves? <clears throat> there are some people who have married after um, having sex together. And I just want to tell, tell people that you have been given grace. You cannot stand proud. You have sinned. You cannot stand proud, but humbly know that you have been given grace, and it is by grace that you stand. And if you are in a place where you don't see or where you see that there is a huge divide between God and the gift that he has given us, then it's time for us to repent. It's time for us to turn back and change our thinking. Don't conform your minds to the ways of the world. But may it be transformed by the word of God. God doesn't want to be a killjoy. But rather these gifts were given so that we can fully enjoy it. That glove was given to me not so that I could slap the giver with it. Not so that I could beat people down with it. So that I could keep my hands warm and I can use my phone with it when I can. There is a purpose to the gift. And when it's used properly, that is when I have the most joy. See, God gives us gifts so that we can enjoy it. Not so that he can dangle it in front of us and taunt us, tempt us. That is not the point. Be humble and know that this is something that more people than you think struggle with. But be humble and humble yourselves before the Lord and submit to his word. And know that what marriage really points to and what it signifies is the church's relationship with God. Our relationship with God, that is the ultimate marriage.
Which brings us to the third and last point, the gift of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. The Greek word is parakleton, and some, some, uh, some translations have it as a different word, like advocate. But I really like the word helper, so I read from the ESV. It's helper, because God has also given us a helper. The ultimate helper that we receive, what everything points to is God. So the ultimate helper that we are going to receive is, Jesus, uh, is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ is promising his followers the Holy Spirit. This is not just E for Adam to complete him. This is for humanity. Humanity needs the Holy Spirit now. There is no other stronger comforter, advocate, counselor, rescuer. Because Jesus is promising to send his people God. What this is pointing to is that we are people that are in need. Just as Adam was not complete by himself and he needed an Azir. We as humanity cannot solve the problems that are in front of us as much as we want to, as much as we think we know the answer. Can't you see that no one's listening? All we see is more divisiveness. This is playing out this very moment, this very day. Anytime you strongly believe in something, all people have to do is this, you say. And you can put it on your Facebook walls. You can do whatever you can. But don't you see that the world is getting even more divided? What we need to realize is that humanity needs a someone stronger, someone wiser, Someone that will come to fully unite us. And Jesus sends his helper, the Holy Spirit. This is not just so that we have an emotional reaction. And this is not something that we just do when we're praising and worshiping God. Saying, oh, Holy Spirit, come. Meaning, oh, I just want to feel good. When we say, Holy Spirit, come, we are saying that I am not complete we are in need, and we need you to help us. No matter how much I think this is the right answer, why isn't anybody listening? No matter how much someone else thinks it's the right answer, how come I see it as completely absurd and ridiculous? We need someone to unite us. And that person is in the person of the Holy Spirit. This is what we mean when we say, Holy Spirit, come, fully dwell within us. I need you. I need to realize that everything that I say and do, I, I feel like sometimes it's corrupted, isn't it? If I say, close your eyes, what's the first image that comes? Is it God? Is it something holy? 
Or have, has your mind been so corrupted that as soon as you close your eyes, the images that come up are corrupt images, are things that are not good? This is not just my cry, is it? It's the cry of all of us. We need to admit that we need a helper. And Jesus is the one that says, I will give you a helper. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will have power and you'll be able to do the work that I need you to do to fully enjoy and be filled with my joy in life. Let's pray at this time. And let's pray confessing to him, admitting to him that we need him. There are so many so-called perceptions, perspectives, answers, solutions that the world is trying to give. If only they followed this. But we know the truth. The truth is the only way is through Jesus. The only life is through Jesus. The only truth is through Jesus. And we need help. We need God's help. And so just as he says, I will give you the Holy Spirit, let's pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to come upon us, to dwell in us, to transform our minds so that we can be more like him, so that a true difference can be made in the world. My prayer, my dream is that our young people would rise up and change the world. Change it for better. Change it for good. Change it for God. Let's pray.